Well, good morning, family. We continue our Dream On series today. We're going to be talking about dreaming about freedom. What's it like to be a slave? This is a picture about a lady by the name of Lin Yan. And Lin Yan was born in Cambodia in the 1970s. And while she was there as a young child, a group called the Khmer Rouge came in under Pol Pot, a particularly brutal dictatorship that overthrew the government and really went throughout the land, uh, looting villages, killing people. They killed literally thousands of people and putting people into work camps and so forth. And one of the villages that they overran was Batabang, which is where Lin Yan lived. And so they took her and her five brothers and sisters and her parents and they transported them to a work camp. Now, she was just a young girl. Because you can imagine how being a slave as a young girl would affect her. And as they got there, they were forced to work from the very beginning. Uh, the sun came up until evening. They had very little food. They had to subsist on roots and berries that they could forage and try to find. It was uh, daily humiliation. There was physical abuse, sexual abuse. There was all kinds of abuses that were taking place. And miraculously enough, after four years in those horrid slave-like conditions, they were able to escape. And when they were able to escape that camp, they decided they wanted to go to Thailand because there they would be free. It was over 100 miles from the camp to Thailand, and so they traveled by night so that the Khmer Rouge would not find them. And during the daytime, they would hide. And eventually, they made it to the Thailand border, but when they did, the border guards would not let them in. So they went back into the wilderness a little bit and trying to figure out what they were going to do and how they were going to subsist, knowing that they were in major problems. And suddenly a soldier just appeared, seemingly from nowhere, and they thought for sure they were going to die. But instead of dying, this soldier said to them, follow me, I'm going to lead you into Thailand. And indeed, he did. So after they were across the border into Thailand, they turned around to thank him, and he wasn't there. And to this day, Lin Yan believes it was an angel who led them into Thailand. They were met by some American aid workers, and a couple in Tennessee volunteered to sponsor them if they would come to the United States and immigrate to the United States. And indeed, that is exactly what they did. And after they immigrated to the United States, this is a story of political freedom, like many thousands of people across uh, many hundreds of years who have done that. But there's two specific things about this story that are different and a little bit unusual. And the first one is this, and that is four years after she came to America, Lin Yan, who didn't speak a word of English, won a national contest as a spelling bee. <laughs> and there's a second reason that's even more important than that. When they came to America, the couple that sponsored them were members of a Baptist church, and so they began to take them to the church, and they began to learn about who Jesus was, and eventually all of her brothers and sisters and their mother, her father was killed back in the work camp, all of her brothers and sisters and her mother came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And when she looked back on that experience of that slavery in that work camp for four difficult years, and they asked her what she thought about it, she said this, and I want to quote it. She said... It must have been God's grand plan to win us over to him. Without that, I may never have known Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great testimony for somebody who's gone through slavery? 
You know, freedom is a great thing. We love freedom. We want to be free. We want to make our own choices. We want to decide our own destiny. We want to do those things. And political freedom is part of that. We are very blessed in America to have political freedom, as we obviously know. And yet political freedom, as wonderful as it is, pales in comparison to spiritual freedom. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Freedom begins when we make a decision for Jesus Christ. It begins when we take that step of faith where we say, I know that I need Jesus in my life and I want to accept him as my Savior. In John chapter 8, beginning at verse 34, we read these words. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. and He's talking about the kingdom of God and what it means and how they can be free. And he says this, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The words that he used there are pertinent. He uses the word slave or slavery twice. That is a word which brings up horrible memories to us. It is a word which is ugly. It is a word which uh, brings up a horrid experience that some people may have had to go through. It is not a good word, and yet he uses it twice. Why does he do that? Because I think he wants us to understand that just like slavery, politically speaking, is horrible, slavery to sin is also ugly. And slavery to sin also has a very dire consequences to it. And therefore, he says to us, here's the good news for you. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's say that together. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's what we want to talk about today, is our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, there are times when even though we have been set free by Christ, even though that's where it all begins, when we come to know Him as our our personal Savior, there's times when we just don't feel free. There's times when we think, I got this problem. There's times when we wonder what in the world is going on in our life. Why is that, that we don't always feel free? Well, there is a verse in Galatians that says this. It is for freedom that Christ has what? Set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says, don't go back into those old things. Can you imagine if Lin Yan, after she came to America and found political freedom, said, you know, I'd kind of like to go back to that slave camp. That was, that was okay over there. It would be ridiculous. Can you imagine us who have been set free in Christ continuing to go back to those things? And yet here's also a, here's also a maxim that we have to understand. When we come to know Christ, it doesn't mean our problems are over. I hope that doesn't surprise you. How many of you today are believers and have a problem? The rest of you are liars. (laughs) You have a problem. You're a liar. (laughs) So so we're going to talk about that today because we know that we have free will. We live in a sin-filled world, and we know there are times when we move away from exactly what God wants us to do and have thoughts and decisions that aren't really uh, what he has for us, and they're unhealthy in some of the ways that we do it. There is a verse that happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it says this, and Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. These are believers, people who have come to know Christ, and he's saying, this is how you should live. You know you've been set free in Christ? Well, this is what you should do then. He says, I beg you, 
Now, if someone says, I beg you, that's a pretty important thing, right? He is begging them to do this. And he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He goes on to explain to them, once we've been set free by Christ, we no longer live by the standards of the world. We have different standards, different value system, different way we perceive life. For though we live in the world, we still hear, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is writing to individuals who are free in Christ, and he uses a word there in verse 4 that says strongholds. What exactly is a stronghold? It's the only time in Scripture that this word is used. It's a word that comes from military background. And as the military background, it means fortress. It would be, in this time, probably a castle or a large encampment of some kind that would be built, and around this fortress or around this encampment would be a moat to protect it. And there would be towers that would go up on all four corners of this area. And there would be guards that would stand there. And the reason that they did that is because they did not want the enemy to come in and take it away from them. And it became what was called a fortress or a stronghold. Spiritually, we have some strongholds in our life, even as we become believers. These are things which are difficult for us to dislodge. That's why we call them strongholds, not weak holes. They're strong. They're things we have to do with. We need some weapons to come in and to demolish and destroy. And the word actually means dethrone. We have to have those weapons that that come in and help us to dethrone these strongholds in our life. So what is a spiritual stronghold? A stronghold is a fortress, Now, it's not a fortress that I just described in political fashion or in the terms of bricks and mortar. It is a fortress that is made up of our thoughts that entice us to set aside our freedom in Christ. Because if the Son has set you free, what? You're free indeed. And therefore, he says, whenever you have something that tries to take away your freedom, it becomes a stronghold to you. And he says, those are issues that we have to deal with. We have to demolish them. We have to dethrone them. And therefore, we take every thought captive to Christ. That doesn't mean that you sit around and you think about God all day with every thought that you have. But when we come to know Christ, because we are free in him, he gives us the freedom to run every thought that we have, every value that we have, Every decision that we have, every action that we have, we can run all of those things by God to see whether or not he approves of them. And if he approves of them, we know we're on the right track. And if he doesn't, we have a tendency to shut it aside. And if we do so, we will move into an area called a stronghold. Strongholds don't just start overnight. They are built upon over a period of time. And as we have those thoughts that are alien to what God has for us, as we begin to feed those thoughts, they become habits, and then they become patterns, and then eventually they become a lifestyle. 
Now, I'm going to share some strongholds with you, and I want you to know right up front, none of these things are going to keep you out of heaven. But we, the more we can deal with the strongholds in our life, the more freedom that we are going to have that Christ has for us. So here are some strongholds that Christians fall into. And the first one, uh, probably none of you had this problem, but sometimes you'll find individuals who have a stronghold of worry or anxiety or fear in their life. In other words, they go to bed at night, and what do they do? They start ruminating over and over and over again, the same thing over and over again, and eventually that worry becomes an anxiety, and that anxiety becomes a fear, and then they fear a loss of something, or they fear that something is going to happen, and it becomes a stronghold, and it strangles them, and it ties them up, and it keeps them from the freedom that they have in Christ. Now, the good news for you and I is that every single one of these strongholds, God has an antidote for us in Scripture. The second stronghold is guilt. We know that when we come to Christ, he says to us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and yet we keep going back and feeling guilty about them. We find this a lot of times in veterans who've had to do some things on the battlefield that are very difficult for them, even though God has forgiven for all that stuff. We, they come back and they have to carry that guilt and it becomes a stronghold in their life. The third one is anger. Now, we know that anger by itself is not wrong. Jesus himself became angry. But when anger begins to feed upon itself, when it begins to get out of control, when anger begins to lash out, when anger begins to, to do things which are very destructive, either to the family or the, to the people around about them or to other people, anger can become a stronghold. It can get a grip on our life. It can squeeze the freedom out of us because of the way that it treats us. There is another one, and this is the one, excuse me. Sorry. Eventually, I'll get this thing down. This is a critical negative spirit. Again, you probably don't know anybody like this. But a critical negative spirit can be a stronghold in our life. Do you ever know those individuals who are so joyous and so happy that they just brighten up a room whenever they walk into it? Do you know those individuals who brighten up a room when they leave? <laughs> That's the definition of a critical negative spirit. You got it. I don't even need to go any further. You see, those critical negative spirits hamper our dreams. They squelch joy. They strangle freedom. It's a stronghold that can come into our life as a believer. The, third, the next one is Christian addictions. And this is the one that you look at and say, ooh, I don't know about this thing. Because normally when we talk about addictions, we deal with drugs and alcohol. And we know those are really strong strongholds. We know that they can have a grip on your life and can really ha wreak havoc into your life. But yet we say, hey, I don't have a drug or alcohol problem. I don't have any addictions. Well, maybe, maybe not. But there are also addictions that we don't think are that bad, and therefore we embrace them and we allow them to be fed. Things like, and I just wrote some of these down, things like the language that we use. The word says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. It's not just talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. It's talking about language that is derogatory, language that hurts, language that binds. What about greed? What about uh, hypocrisy, bitterness, prejudice? You know, prejudice can be a stronghold in our life, and we hardly even know about it. What about self-pity? Oh, woe am I. What about legalism, deceit? 
I used to have a stronghold of perfectionism. When I was growing up, I was taught that if you're a Christian, you don't have any problems anymore. You never do anything wrong anymore. Everything is always perfect. But I wasn't. And therefore, I had to bring a lot of guilt into my life, and I didn't know for sure how to handle that guilt. And until I got a little older and began to search the Scriptures for myself and to determine what God really has said about that, I was in that stronghold, and it had to be broken. Okay, those are strongholds. Here's the good news. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons of the world are coercion. The weapons of the world are those things which uh, powerful people put upon us. Those things are armaments. Those things which uh, might even be legislation. We don't fight that way. So what are the weapons that we have to fight these strongholds? How can we come in and demolish these strongholds? How can we destroy them? How can we dethrone these things that have gotten into our life as believers and are keeping us from the joy of the freedom that we enjoy in Christ? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians. A little bit earlier, in, in the scriptures, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about his life. He goes on in chapter 12 and talks about it a little bit more. And he says, I've had a lot of problems in my life. He said, I've had afflictions of all kinds. And he goes into great detail about being in prison and about being shipwrecked and about all of these people who have rejected him and come against him. He even says, I've got a thorn in my side. Now, some people think that is eye trouble, and it, it might be. We don't really know. But I wonder... If it was a stronghold, something that Paul really wrestled with and he couldn't get complete victory over and he had to keep working on it. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says to us about these strongholds. In truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons, look at this, weapons of righteousness in my right hand and in my left. He doesn't say weapons of the world. He says, we fight with weapons of righteousness. And he gives us some illustrations. He begins by saying the first thing is truthful speech. If you have a stronghold in your life, you got to be truthful about it. We try to hide our strongholds. We don't want anybody to know about it. Sometimes we even lie about our strongholds. Oh, that's not me. I don't really have any problems like that. We are pretenders. We try to pretend that we're wealthier than we are. We try to pretend sometimes that uh, we're more influential than we are. If you're under 15, you try to pretend you're older than you are. If you're over 50, <laughs> you try to pretend you're younger than you are. And sometimes we try to pretend that we're more righteous than we are and that we never have any temptations and no trials and nothing that we are working on. I got some great news for you today. When Jesus says, so the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. He sets us free from having to pretend that we don't have any problems. He sets us free to deal with those strongholds that are in our life. And he says, I want you to tell the truth. Is this really a power? Is this really a problem in your life? And once we come to admit, yes, I have a problem with greed. I have a problem with hypocrisy. I have a problem with prejudice. I have a problem with whatever it is, loneliness. Then how do we get rid of that? The power of God. You can't take these strongholds on without the power of God because you'll fail. 
Most of the time when we are individuals that do not have a Christ experience and we don't have the Holy Spirit in our life, we know that we shouldn't be gossiping, we shouldn't be doing this or that or the other, and we really try hard to do it, and we go okay for a while, and then we just slip back into some old habits again. And finally we say, yeah, well, you know, that's just the way I am. I'm, I'm just kind of an angry person. I just have hypocrisy. I just have greed. I, whatever it is in our life. And we give up on it. The truth is you need the Holy Spirit to help you break down this stronghold and demolish it. We have to have the Holy Spirit power, the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, each time that I come out to speak before a congregation of some kind, I always pray the same prayer. And that goes like this. God, you realize there is no way I can do this this morning. I need the power of the Holy Spirit or I am dead meat. There is no way I can deliver this message and have the impact without the power of your Spirit. Will you say what you want me to say and have me not say what you don't want me to say? May you help communicate with me the glory of who you are. Then he says to us, not only do you have truthful speech, not only do we admit we have an issue, we've got a problem, we've got to deal with it, and we need the power of God to help us overcome this. He says, now we have weapons of righteousness. Now, there are dozens of weapons of righteousness throughout the Scriptures. And to your great relief, I'm not going to give you all of them this morning. You know, Kurt said one hour, that's all I could preach, so I'm going to hold it down to that. But I am going to give you five, and I think these five are the single most important weapons of righteousness that we have. And the first one is the word of truth. As I said earlier today, every single stronghold in your life, there is an antidote to it in Scripture. First Peter tells us that even before the creation of the world, God knew that mankind would sin and that he would need to send his son, Jesus Christ, to help them to come out of that sin and find confession and find a relationship with him. But he also says to us, you know, I know Tom, and I know that even though I have set him free, he's still going to have some problems in life. You know something? God is pretty smart. He is. And so God says, I'm going to have to give Tom some help on knowing how to overcome this problem. And so I'm going to write down in my word all of the antidotes, all of the things that once wants to do, all of the things that will help him deal with this stronghold in his life. It is the word of God. The second uh, weapon that we have is connection. I don't know if any of you were here last week, but I tell you, Griffin did an absolutely phenomenal job of, of telling us the understanding of, of connection and how important it is in our life. And we recognize that we need other believers. Christianity is not lived in isolation. It's lived in community. We call them connect groups here. And those groups come together. And the purpose of those groups is to study the scriptures, to ask questions, to deal with life issues, to pray together, to encourage one another, to support one another, to be there for one another. That is a weapon that we can use to bring down strongholds. The third weapon that we have is, is faith. Faith is not simply the understanding that God is at work in the world. Faith is understanding that God is at work in my life and your life and all of our lives. That's faith. Faith is believing that God wants to do something about our stronghold and he will provide the weapons with which we can demolish it. He will provide the power with which we can, we can uh, allow ourselves to get rid of that stronghold in our life. The fourth weapon that we have is prayer. In Luke chapter 18, he says, pray and don't give up. There are times when we wrestle with this stronghold in our life, whatever it happens to be, and we say, I just can't do it. I quit. God says, don't do that. Keep coming to me. 
Prayer is not the preparation for battle. Prayer is the battle. That's where we go to God and say, we need your help. And the last one, the fifth one, is praise. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you're in a connect group, you're going to hear this week a message from Joy on the video that talks about the power of praise in setting us free in Christ. When we praise God, we take the attention off of ourselves and we move it on to God. When we praise God, God doesn't need us to do that so he'll feel better about himself. We need to do that so we will feel better about God and who he is. So what strongholds do you have in your life? What are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to tell the truth? Are you willing to allow the power of God to allow you to use the weapons of God? These two individuals are probably the most unlikely pair of people you've ever known to be friends. On one side, uh, on the left side as you're facing forward is a guy by the name of Ron Hall. On the right side is a guy by the name of Denver Moore. Nobody could be more different in their lives than these two people. Denver Moore was very poor. Ron Hall was very rich. Denver Hall was homeless. Ron Hall not only had one house, but he had two houses, and they were elaborate houses. Denver never had a job that paid him a paycheck in his entire life. Ron had a job as an international art dealer, and he made multi-million dollar deals on a consistent basis. He wore Armani suits and drove Jaguars, visited the finest restaurants. Denver Moore had never been to a restaurant. Denver Moore grew up in Red River Parish in Louisiana. And as he grew up, he never knew who his parents were. He was shuttled around from relative to relative till eventually he wound up with an uncle. And the uncle happened to be a sharecropper. Now, we're not that familiar with sharecroppers here in Florida, but a sharecropper is someone who works the land in exchange, supposedly, for money. But instead of getting money, these sharecroppers were simply given room and board. And at the end of the year, they never got any money. And so from the time that he was seven years old until he was in his early 20s, Denver Moore worked from beginning of the day to the end of the day. And all the time that he worked, he did get some food, he did get some clothing, he did get some, a meager amount of housing. That's it. He never got a paycheck. And Denver began to be angry about this. Why am I not getting anything in life? What's happening with my life? And he became very angry, and he fell into a stronghold, and the stronghold was anger and bitterness. So when he was in his early 20s, he hopped a train, and he took off. He didn't know for sure where he was going to land, and he wound up in Fort Worth, Texas, because he heard that that was a good place for homeless people. He became homeless, and he stayed homeless, really, for almost the rest of his life. And as he was there, he got more and more angry, and one day he took a gun, and he went down to a local bus, a city bus, and he tried to rob it. And of course, he bungled the whole thing, and he was arrested and convicted and he was sent to Angola Prison, which is the Alcatraz of the South, a very difficult place to live. And so the anger and the bitterness and the hatred just continued to grow in him. Even after he was released after 10 years, he went back to Fort Worth, the same homeless shelter. And this stronghold of anger and hatred and bitterness was just a major part of his life. On the other thing, Ron Hall had a completely different stronghold in his life. He was a very successful businessman, had a wife, had basically any material things that he wanted. 
His stronghold wasn't anger and bitterness. His stronghold was greed. His job consumed him. That's all he wanted to do was make more money. He pushed everybody out of his life, including his wife. And one day, his wife set him down after a disastrous experience. And she said to him, Ron, if you don't start thinking about someone else other than yourself, I'm going to divorce you. Ron was taken aback. And he said, what do you want me to do? He said, the first thing I want you to do is go down to the homeless center down where I go at Fort Worth. And every Tuesday night, we're going to serve dinners to the homeless people. And Ron was like, you got to be kidding me. Me, the most prosperous guy around, me with my nice clothing and my nice car, I'm going to go down and visit the homeless? you got to be kidding me. And Ron hated every minute of it. But while he was at the homeless center serving, suddenly things begin to change and the walls begin to crumble. And suddenly there begin to be a crack in the foundation of his stronghold. And he met a guy by the name of Denver, which is the guy that I showed you up front. Denver was bitter, angry, hatred. He said, I will never speak to another white man the rest of my life. Because when he was just a teenager, he was walking along the roads in Louisiana and a woman had car trouble and she was a white lady and he stopped to try to help her. And three KKK people came down and found him there and beat him mercilessly and almost killed him and would have killed him except some people intervened on their behalf. And he said, I will never speak to another white person ever again. For five months, he came in to the homeless shelter. And Denver would say, hi, Denver, how are you tonight? How are you doing? Never once did Denver ever reply. But something began to happen in this relationship. Ron, first of all, found out that he wanted to do more than just simply put in his time because his wife wanted him to go to church. And he found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he began to live for him. And through that experience, he began to know, I need to make this gentleman my friend. And so he said, I want you to be my friend, Denver. And after all of this time, finally, Denver began to open up a little bit. And Denver said, why do you want me to be my friend? He says, you know, some of you white people, you go fishing and you have what's called catch and release. And he says, is that what you're going to do for me? You're just going to catch me and then release me and not be my friend anymore? And Ron Hall was taken aback by that. And he said, no, absolutely not, Denver. I will be your friend. And they began to do things together. And through, especially through uh, Ron's wife, eventually Denver came into a personal relationship with God. And he here, the son, is set free. (laughs) Is free indeed. And the walls of his foundation of that stronghold begin to melt. And eventually he came into a totally different understanding of people. And he and Ron began to minister together. And eventually they sat down and wrote a book called The Same Kind of Different as Me. It became a bestseller. Denver Moore, the homeless man who never had a job, didn't even have a birth certificate, never had a driver's license, was invited to the White House to meet with President Bush. And afterwards he told Ron, I used to live in the bushes, and now I'm eating with the bushes. So they began to take a tour. As the press picked it up and as the story began to be told, they started taking tours. And even though they were telling people about their faith in Christ and witnessing about that, they also said, we want you to help the homeless. These are people who need your help. And over the next eight years, they raised $70 million for the cause of the homeless. 
So if the Son sets you free, <laughs> you are free indeed. The s- because they were truthful about their need, that they had a, a boundary, that they had a, a foundation of a stronghold that was keeping them in. Because they were truthful and they searched the word and because they began to understand each other, they lived a significant and meaningful life that affected literally thousands of other people. So what's your stronghold? I don't know what it is. It might be none of these five things that I've listed here on the board. It might be something totally different than we've ever talked about. But here's the good news. (laughs) He who the Son has set free (laughs) is free indeed. God wants to set you free, not just from your sins, although that's the first step. He wants you to set you free from those strongholds that strangle you and keep you from all he has for you. Father, we love you today. I thank you for your word and the truth of your word, that it holds for us the answer to our deepest needs. I am thankful that when you set us free, you set us free indeed. And I'm also thankful that you continue working on us. You allow us to come to you. You allow us to hear your voice. You allow us to read your word. And you allow corrections in our personal lives so that we can break down these walls that divide us. And we can break down these boundaries and we can break down these strongholds with the weapons of righteousness that you have provided for us. And it's in your precious name that we pray.